This is Drake Drakey, and welcome back to the Gag Order. So shut up and listen already. We're finally back with episode number two, entitled, It's All Relative. Because I actually wanted to discuss the different family concepts, you know. I thought I would just call it, you know, all in the family. But then I thought, what about extended families? So maybe I thought, you know, call it a family affair, but then I thought, it's what about the different types of friendships that act as the family unit? So maybe I call it, it runs in the family. But in the end, I thought either way, it's it's all relative. But the thing is, where to begin? You know, I guess normally when you plan something like this, you start from the outside in, you know. So we give that community fellowship some love. You know, the loyal crew, TLC. You know, what about your friends? Yeah. But I better stop before T-Bars and Chili sue me for copyright infringement. But family. According to Wikipedia, family is a group of people related either by consanguinity, you know, recognized by birth, affinity, by marriage or other relationships, or co-residents. So basically, anyone who's close to you is considered family. That's right, ladies. So even that guy who's stalking you now can claim you on his taxes. Well, minor victories. So even the associates on the bottom of the friendship chain would now be considered fam. That's right. Even those neighborhood knuckleheads, you know. And you know the type. You always got those guys that profess to know so much about the law and what police can and can't do and what judges aren't allowed to do. And strangers would hear this person and be like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. But the hood be like, yeah, you know so much about the law. Why are you always in jail? You doing research? You've been out of jail for a year now. Your mail's still being forwarded to your cell block. And people will believe their hood logic. You know, they sound like they know what they're doing. You know, like, they sound emphatic, you know. You know, homie would get hyper and get mad with his hood logic. You know, he'd get a crazy amp. You know, he'd be like, yo, I get cray-cray. You know? And it would sound extra. Because when he spoke, he stuttered. You know, just really thought he was emphasizing just how super cray-cray he was. But his most compelling nugget of brilliance was this. He said, hey, if you're planning on doing some kind of illegal activity with someone you're not sure about, you can ask them, are they a cop? And by law, they have to tell you because if they deny that they're cops and you do the dirt and they arrest you, you know, they can't because that's entrapment. Like, no, that's stupid. The hell kind of law is that? Laws of the street? Entrapment? What did they tell you to do the crime and then arrest you for it to make their quota? You know what entrapment is? Actually doing the crime. Because even if he said he wasn't a cop, he can always say he arrested you for citizen's arrest. You know, entrapment theory. You know. you know, police are bound to be by law to be honest. Like, really? Have you not followed history? Like, dude, if that was true, no officer would ever be able to go undercover. You know, because really, that would be the first question a criminal element would ask the new guy. Like, hey, are you a cop? <sighs> yes. I guess I'll go now. Yeah, if an undercover cop has to be honest, ain't no crime gonna get solved. Think about it. If that were true, the deep cover movie would only been 10 minutes long. That movie would have ended before the theme song came on. You know? I can feel. Are you a cop? Yes. Screen credits. You know, you'd be pissed as hell. You didn't get a chance to hit a theme song. You know, there's a chance potentially that Snoop Dogg would have never been able to come out. Like, what? Yeah, you know, there's no way I want to live in a world with no G Funk. You know, shout out to Snoop Dogg. Shout out to Warren G. Rest in peace, Nate Dogg. But you have to know who your friends are. Like friends are supposed to have your back. So now the big things about friends now is like, oh, friends be snitching all of a sudden, you know. And snitching is dangerous, you know. Because they have the most cryptic sayings about snitching. You know? like, Yo, remember, 
Snitches get stitches. But you shot me. You think I'm worried about stitches at this point? I'm more worried about sutras. As a matter of fact, that would sound even more terrifying, you know. So I say, hey, remember, police collusion leads to sutras and blood transfusions. Oh, that shut me up. I ain't saying nothing. Like, officer, I ain't see nothing. I don't know nothing. And I don't even know English. Other than this phrase I'm speaking right now that I translated from Kazakhstan, you know, that place Borat was from. Really? Hell yeah. Then how do you know what really meant? Uzi Babuzi, Shanana, Uchi Wali Wali, Bang Bang, Boom Boom, Shaka Laka Shaka Boom, Shake Shake the Room, you know, whatever it would take. So no snitching. You have to know your priorities. You would think if you snitch, you want to be inconspicuous, you know, which <laughs> if you really think about it, inconspicuous is too big and complicated a word to actually be so. Because you can't snitch and be famous. You know? That don't make no sense. That's not snitching. That's like bragging. Because there are people serving time now for not snitching. You know? People are willing to hold it down for their crew. You know, some people are doing time for being stupid loyal to the game. And, and then again, some people are locked up for just being loyal and stupid. You know, like the cops are banging on some nefarious person's door and thug number one tells thug number two, yo, yo, hide the stash and do this, you know. So the cops arrest them and bring them to the police station. And thug number one is confident he's in his own squad car. He think he's going to beat this rap, you know, because the police got nothing on him. Thug number two is nervous, you know, because they told him in a squad car when they get down to this police station, they have to do a cavity search. Now, if you heard the first podcast, you know, I think that whole process is full of the process. So after the interrogation, they put them together and they informed that they're being arrested because they found drugs on thug with drugs uh, with thug number two. So thug number one's like, yo, you lying, copper. You trying to frame us, you know. You searched us outside of our door in front of all those witnesses and neighbors and you didn't find no drugs then. You planted that or those drugs with us. And the cops like, planted? Hey, us cops aren't freaks. You know? and walks away indignant, leaving them in the holding cell. And thug number one is like, what the hell does he mean freaks? Thug number two is like, well, maybe because they found the drugs in me. In you? Wait, what? Yo, before the cops came, I told you, I told you when they came to, the, came to that door, I told you explicitly to hide the drugs. I told you exactly what to do. He said, I did. You told me to put it someplace safe. I, no, I told you to put it in the safe. Because I knew they couldn't seize it without the safe combination and a search warrant. So? So it ain't safe no more? Look at our business, dude. How are we going to sell customers stinky cocaine? How you gonna play off the outcome aftermath, you know? Oh, it's just cocaine with sprinkles. Oh, dude, dude, that's my bad, yo. That's my bad. We still cool, right? Like, nigga, I ain't trying to give you a pound. After what you done compounded. Now, this whole thing is on you. This is your fault. Those drugs were found in your essence and DNA. You gonna take the rap for this. And he take the whole blame, you know? He didn't rat nobody out. So he'd do the time for the bag of drugs. And since it actually fit, he couldn't have quit. But in prison, when it became known that uh, that he's in there by himself because he refused to snitch on his boy, you know, he's respected. Maybe even deemed like a boss. Till they figure out how he got caught. And then, then his nickname becomes Sweet Cheeks. Hey, don't do the crime if you can't handle joke time. But they have like different levels of snitching. Like you have snitching and dry snitching. My question is, what the hell is dry snitching? You know, that just sounds extra foul, you know, because it almost sounds like dry humping. Like, yo, Drake, dude, yo, that guy's dry snitching on you. Like, what where he at? You know, he better not be standing behind me. Dry snitching, meaning indirectly or inadvertently telling secrets or offenses to a person of authority. Huh? Like what, you talked in your sleep in the back of the squad car? Yeah, sure, that's what he'll tell the hood, you know. Hey, the streets are talking and I'm just a translator. Like, what, are you translating street, the cop? And that term always confused me growing up. The streets are talking. 
Because growing up, I remember PBS shows like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and The Neighborhood of Make-Believe. So now I actually thought the streets were alive and could actually talk to you. You know, because you see homeless people outside talking to themselves. I'm thinking, man, maybe they're just talking to the street. Now, every time I go outside, you know, I kind of expect that to happen. Like, I really thought I could be walking in here. Hello, little Drake. Hi, pavement. How's your mom? She's fine. Even had like my own reading Rainbow West theme song, you know. Talking to the lanes, street knowledge for the brain. So take a peek into the street, the learning pavement. Especially when I hear someone say, yo, money, I learned that from being in these streets because the streets were talking. I was thinking, wow, you talk to the streets too? And the neighborhood kids thought I was cool until they realized I was being literal. Well, you believe what you believe. You know, I thought I was just walking around and being like, Hey, little Drake. Yes, pavement. You don't need to be out here in these streets. You do remember the golden rule, right, little Drake? Yes, pavement. Be focused on the blackboards and chalk, not on the Ave being in asphalt. But these conversations make the neighborhood kids notice you, you know. They'll be like, yo, look at that kid. He must be homeless. He talking to himself. What the hell? Look like he talking to his feet. Now... As a kid growing up, you know, my father and his side of the family were all from Philadelphia. So my childhood and holidays and vacations and summers were all spent in Philly. Now, not to age myself, but I got my first set of DJ equipment as a baby. And I wasn't even a teenager yet. But after I got my turntables, you know, and rap on the radio in New York, you had to switch from Red Alert and 98.7 Kiss to... Uh, Mr. Magic and Molly Maul and 107.5 WBLS-FM and you switch back and forth between the two rap shows from whenever a commercial came on. But I know, listen, DJ wanted to DJ and I had my DJ equipment for about a year and then Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince came out and I became the biggest Jazzy Jeff fan in New York. And I remember because it was on one Friday night on the Rap Attack radio show on WBLS and I remember to this day that Mr. Magic had this trademark when he said, this is a world, world, world premiere, premiere. A world, world, world premiere, premiere. And I heard this song, I haven't heard this song in years, but I still forever remember the, the lines. The first print says, here's a day that shouldn't be forgot about the day my DJ turned into an Autobot. He got struck by lightning in an electrical storm and got on the wheels of steel and prepared to transform. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell is he doing that? I was hooked, you know. After that, every scratch I tried to do was some variation of the Transformer scratch. You know, I wouldn't do anything else. Like, no cutting, no scratching, just transforming. You know, I went out that next day and purchased the Rock the House tape. Yes, the cassette tape. Well, my mother did, you know. People want to ask, how a baby going to leave the house with money and go to the store? Point is, I got the tape. That's how long ago it was. No one even knows what a cassette tape is anymore. So now I got to stop, stop making fun of my older brother, you know, because he used to DJ and he was a DJ so long ago. He was actually able to mix and scratch with eight tracks. That's another story. Anyway, so now I've heard like New York DJs, Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out, Molly Maul, Teddy Ted on the radio, but I have never seen a DJ cutting and scratching live before. But then came this TV show, New York Video Music Box. And they had Jive RCA artists, like the music review with the artists performing, you know, Kumo D, I think he closed the show. He had his hit, How You Like Me Now, and Go See the Doctor. But people were geared up for that, but people was anticipating Boogie Down Productions because their second album was about to debut. And the video for My Philosophy was already hitting hard, and the radio was playing I'm Still Number One, and Jimmy, and Stop the Violence as well. But... DJ Scott LaRock had just passed, you know, and rest in peace to Scott LaRock. So people were wondering, what's like, what's going to happen to BDP? And his rumors like, oh, well, I think Scott LaRock was able to finish the album before before he perished, before he died, before his life was taken. And he's like, maybe he did part of the album. So now everybody was waiting to hear BDPs by all means necessary. And he's going to perform live just as you were waiting for. But quite as it's kept. Also on the bill was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. 
And they had the show. First, they had hip-hop dancers dancing, doing the thing with DJ Jazzy Jeff mixing and catching the beat on his birthday at that. Then he brings out his beatboxer, Reddy Roxy, who killed it by doing Sanford and Son. Then he flipped it by doing Sanford and Son underwater on the beatbox. Then he actually did the Donkey Kong arcade game. But Jazzy Jeff pays tribute to a jive artist Houdini who wasn't there by cutting up their single, Be Yourself. And you know, he's backspinning and he's catching Grandmaster D, if you please, if you please, you know, until the Fresh Prince starts yelling, faster. Then he started catching, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you please. You know, so then in my house, in order to be as good as Jazzy Jeff, you know, I had to start working on catching if, you know, I had to be like, if, 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 if. But even then, Jeff was able to break it down, you know, because Jeff was if, 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 you, 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 please, 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 you know. And after that performance, I could not wait to play that song at parties. But I would get on people's nerves with that song because I'd been, been playing that song for five minutes and have yet to actually play the song. You know, crowds would get pissed. Like, hey, DJ, you mind playing the song, if you please? It gets so bad, I go to parties afterwards and I'd be setting up the equipment and the person's like, hey, uh, come in the kitchen, I want to so I can give you part of the money up front. Then I go back and set everything up and he's saying the Houdini records are missing. Only that particular song. So now I'm heated, like someone stole my records, you know. Of course, the organizer's like, well, maybe you misplaced it in another crate. I'm like, yo, dude, I'm a DJ. I know what records are in what crate and what order they're in. So after the party, I'm still mad. I'm packing everything up. And someone's like, hey, we found your two records in the bathroom. I'm like, how the hell do records get in the bathroom? Plus, I had been to the record, the bathroom at least twice in that, in that party. I ain't seen no records in there. And someone's going to say, whoa, did you check behind the toilet water tank? Why the hell would I search behind the toilet water tank? And why would someone put records behind the toilet water tank? You know. Then I realized people had purposely, purposely put that records there so I wouldn't be able to mix if you please. You know? A bunch of haters. You know? And it's hard to forgive anyone who would do that to Houdini, but one love. You know? But even my mother would complain about the music back then, you know. Will you turn that down? No one wants to hear that noise. Like, but it's a transformer scratch. Well, if you don't turn that volume down, I'm gonna transform those turntables down to the curb. You'd be mad, like, man. Parents just don't understand. Now, here's what I don't understand. Like, I'm on YouTube and I see an English interviewer interviewing Jazzy Jeff, paying homage to Jazzy Jeff, and he says, you know, we have this title here and want to know if it's self-proclaimed or is it official that you are the world's best hip-hop and R&B DJ. And Jeff says, well, I never really looked at it like that. I just enjoy what I do and I just leave that up to everybody else. It's not fair for me to say that I'm the best because DJing, like in sports, anyone can have a bad game. Like, yeah. Says Tom Brady, who never had to face the New York Giants. Because I say that, my Philly cousins are get mad. Like, Don't forget the Pats facing the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, well, what happened when they faced him the first time? You finally beat him that he got old? <sighs> Big up to the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I don't know what happened to Jeff that day. I don't. Maybe he had a bad cheesesteak, but Jazzy Jeff is the world's greatest DJ. You know. Now, I know I might have just been spoiled since the first person you actually see actually rock a party was Jazzy Jeff. Like everyone else fails in comparison, you know. After that, you know, you high school proms and street parties. It's like, it's no comparison. It's like... That's like watching Michael Jordan. That's why I was watching basketball for the first time, and it's with Michael Jordan scoring 55 on the Knicks. And then every other time you ever saw a basketball game, it's this year's New York Knicks playing. It's no longer the same. You, know, you become spoiled by greatness. I mean, it wasn't until years later that I seen DJ Scratch of EPMD you know, doing the Big Daddy Kane routine where he ducks under the table and rises up with the Jason mask and like Friday the 13th I'ma play Jason you know play Jason play the play Jason you know killed it or when video music would start, actually start showing DJ competitions and it's when they showed DJ Steve D doing the first ever seen beat juggle and he was part of Clark Kent's Superman him Clark Kent and Scratch but growing up as a kid, you know, I wasn't into DC Comics. I was a Marvel comic book guy, so I was a fan of the X-Men. Now, I'm talking about X-Men from the comic book age, you know. 
Because now with all this new slang, remember you heard me talking in the first podcast, how the slang keeps changing. You know? So I say, X-Men, I'm talking about the comic book guys, you know. I'm not talking about anyone going through a transitional reassignment surgery. They, I don't know if that's the new slang. But Marvel comic book X-Men spawned one of the greatest DJ crews ever. Okay, now known as the Executioners, that's only due to copyright issues. But growing up, they were known as the X-Men. You know, I'm talking about the legendary Grandmaster DJ Rock Raider. Nasty on the, on the ones and twos. Rest in peace to that brother. DJ Mr. Sinister. Now, I remember in 96, I wanted to really learn but how the DJs do their thing and learn how to do things, how to improve myself. So I went to this Bronx store that doesn't exist anymore. It was called Beat Street. So I guess they had to beat it. But I bought my first... DMC mix, mixing tape. It was, it was a VHS tape. That's how long ago it was. Remember, it's a red and white box. And it's a 1996 DMC US Finals. DMC DJ and mixing competition. And Mr. Sinister came in second. Now, the guy who won first place was from Detroit. And I remember to this day, the big thing that he did was he had a drum beat playing on one turntable. And on the other turntable, he had a record with just tone sound effects. And what he would do is just pick up the needle and drop it on different tone on the different grooves on the record to, uh, to, and, uh, to get the different tones to match it with the drum beat that I was playing. Now, that was really dope because no one had ever seen anything like that before. Keep in mind, this is before DJ software, before Serato or what have you came out. This is just DJing with old fashioned playing records. Now, that was really innovative. But Mr. Sinister? Yo, you know how some DJs are mixing and they're catching the beat and they'll get fancy by grabbing the fader behind the back or grabbing the fader with the hand between the legs? Mr. Sinister did that. And you know how people beat juggle. Well, you know, Mr. Sinister, you know, beat juggle, you make your own beat from something different, just make the, add stabs, and you make something a totally different beat. Now, Mr. Sinister did that. But Mr. Sinister started grabbing the fader behind his back and grabbing the fader between his legs while beat juggling. Now, nobody did that. I don't even know. I don't even know if people do that now. You know, he did that and then went into the how people break down the beat juggle today. And I was like, yo, that should have won right there. Until you could see that done again, that should have won. Then you had the legendary Rob Swift. Now, I've seen. DJing uh, on Funk Master. I see him DJing on Funk Master Flex five minutes of funk video. And it's this guy getting nasty, this big bulky guy getting nasty on the ones and twos. I'm like, I remember the name, but I'm looking, I was like, I do not know this guy. But I know I know the name. So I had to search YouTube and saw like an old clip from the 90s. Like, oh, it's this dude. The guy was nasty from the X-Men. You know, guy looked mad young making those videos. You know, he was like tall, skinny, no facial hair and an afro, but mad skills. You know? You look at him now, it's like, was he drafted into the army or something? You know, it looks like he started lifting weights every day so no one would steal his turntables. You know? Now he looked like Rambo with a Rick Ross beard. You know, but he's doing his thing. He's actually teaching. He got like a brolic army of DJing. You know? So in all seriousness, shout out to Rob Swift, who's actually teaching a course of DJing at the new school. Of course, I think it's called Advanced Skills. So if anyone wants to learn how to be a DJ or how to at least be dope at being the DJ, why not attend the class by a living legend and become legendary? Because once you become taught by a legend and you become legendary, man, you'll be like as fourth as good as Rob Swift. No, seriously, big shout out to DJ Rob Swift. But every region had their dope DJs, you know. Cali had their dope DJs. I mean, Cali, I remember DJ Aladdin, Joe Cooley, to Battle Cat, up to DJs Qbert and Babu and on and on. But me growing up and like being in Philly so much, it was always like the best DJs was in Philly. You know, you know not only Cash Money, but you had, you know, the, the Jazzy Jeff, but you had Cash Money, who I finally seen DJing after so long. You know, I heard him scratch before, you know, because I, I bought his tape, you know. Cash Money and Marvel's Marv cassette tape, you know, because I like the song Find an Ugly Woman. And I remember they was on Sleeping Bag Records, and Sleeping Bag Records were funny because, you know, the paper inserts where the artists give their shout outs, and but they did the Sleeping Bag advertisement insert had advertisement for other Sleeping Bag artists. Like you trying to learn about this one artist, and they trying to sell you on another artist. That's called cross promotion. Like, no, that's called thirsty. Like sleeping bag records needs a thermos. 
but I need to get back into DJing now. But you know, but records are obsolete now. So you know, now you gotta get DJ software and a brand new computer to hold all the music on and use MP3s. But now DJ Jazzy Jeff has his own DJ controller. If you don't know what a controller is, it's like a mixer with two mini platters that are used as turntables that actually come with DJ Jazzy Jeff pre-made scratches. Now come on. How are you not the greatest DJ after that? You know, and, and as I said, it's and for years, the Fresh Prince was always saying that you were the greatest DJ. So was he lying? You know, was Will acting back then? If Will was such a great actor, how come he didn't win the Oscar for Ali? You know, you know he should have won. You know, we know why he didn't win. He didn't win because he's black. Yeah, I know Denzel won that year for training day. What does that have to do with this argument? But shout out to Will Smith and Denzel, Washington, Mount Vernon, New York. That's, that's like the Bronx, but with houses. These are just jokes, you know, except the Jeff part. You know, you are the greatest DJ. Okay, if you don't want to say that, fine. It's, but keep in mind, there's only one DJ who's magnificent. That's right. The magnificent Junebug from North Dakota. No, it's you, Jeff. But I better be mindful with the jokes. You know, It's all love. I remember the slogan for Philly is the city of brotherly love and I've been to Philly and I thought that was sarcasm. Philly wasn't no joke, man, when I was there. Probably still not, you know. Like my earliest memories of Philly was like how every street was named after a tree. You know, you go down Chestnut Street and you hit Walnut, you want to keep going, you avoid Elm, you want to go past Cedar. I'm like, what happens when you run out of trees? You going to start using plants, you know? You get to Spruce Street and you go by Ray's Barbershop and you want to take that poinsettia side street until you hit Dandelion Alley. Right? And I remember cheesesteaks were known as hoagies. I don't know if there's that, is that a new thing. You know, I also remember, because uh, I, I was a big comic book collector, and I remember the mom and pop corner stores would sell two comic books and plastic wrap, you know, keep it nice and pristine two comic books for the price and the plastic wrap but the covers were ripped off and these were vintage comics that would be worth a lot of money in this day if they wasn't sold brand new damaged but Philly was no joke because in, in 1986 I was there for my Easter vacation and my family lived on Carpenter Street and I go to Philly I go with my basketball and I go to Carpenter Street you know and I cross the street to Cops Creek to use the basketball court that year, my grandparents said I couldn't go outside to play basketball the whole vacation because four or five blocks over, there was a group called Operation Move that was causing a stir, apparently. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go four blocks over. I'm just going to go across the street to Cops Creek to play basketball. And hey, if they come to the basketball court, I'll move. But my grandmother wouldn't let me go out. So I'm like, is this how I'm going to spend my whole vacation being immobile because of move? So they go, oh, you can see your cousins. And whenever I go to Philly, you know, like, like see my cousin Jay and he had DJ equipment and he's from Philly. So I was like, hey, Jay, you know, you know, Jazzy Jeff, you know, of any Jazzy Jeff doing any parties we can go to? And my cousin, like, just because Jeff lives in Philly and I do, it don't mean I know him. You know, Dr. J plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't hang with him. Like, yeah, well, of course not. You know, your layups get muffed every time you come in the lane. Now, the worst unfortunate part is after, after that vacation, the next month, the police and the government made Operation Move quite literally as they dropped the bomb on a residential housing area, which it, it, I don't see how they happened to this day. And they displaced neighbors due to this collateral damage. And I was hearing about it. I was like, wow, what is life worth to the higher ups that you can drop a bomb to remove a situation only to make a worse situation? Did you really think it through? How you would permanently alter lives? How did they plan to solve that? How do you explain, explain the aftermath? The shattered lives and dreams? Who did you expect to pick up the, piece, the pieces? You know? Apparently the police said, thought the coroner. That's like one of the saddest moments of being in Philly. So I'd say rest in peace to anyone who lost their life in that. All done by officials. you know, Official thugs. But I learned Philly was really thugged out, even from an early age. Like the houses in the area all like semi-attached, you know. And the garage was actually in the middle of the block. So you go from one corner and you walk down to the other corner. You have two streets and the 
garages would be like the my street carpenter street would face the garage on the street on the other corner christian street which made these little alleyways for the garages between two you know between one street it was a uh, two garages and i'm 10 and 11 you know i had this black bmx bike with gold trim with hand brakes which was cool back then because they were there were only the 10 and 12 speed bikes had back the, the hand brakes you know you wanted to stop on the bike you know you had to pedal backwards and break your neck so i'm riding my bike around the block and around the block you know try to get creative i take a shortcut and try to cut through the alleyway when two guys came out and jumped in front of my bike and asked yo can i ride your bike i was like well i'm not finished yet now i knew what they were trying to attempt you know but i thought being that they were like 18 and 20 that they feel guilty for trying to rob a kid not philadelphians you know they started pulling the bike with me on and trying to push me off it and as being a kid with a witty mouth you know doesn't really help when panic-stricken wit just seems to upset gangsters you know because i was like well but how are you both gonna write it you know don't you think that's gonna look rather questionable they just get mad you know, yo shut up man and one of the guys pulls out a weapon and start motioning like he's gonna use it on me and he's like yo if you don't get off this bike right now i'm gonna mess you up you know? so then me being innocent i was just like so you're trying to rob me i know right you know attempted robbery in a street alley between christian and carpenter oh obviously these people didn't know jesus but when you're when you're you're in peril and your life flashes before your eyes and being only 10 years old it went by quick you know the whole time just thinking man i ain't never had a dog i'm gonna miss cartoons i had to learn to walk i was knocked kneed i had to wear heavy leg braces for a whole year i moved like baby robocop you know but being a comedian, you know, I always had this innate acting ability. So while they're trying to get me off the bike and trying to push me off, you know, I just kept looking behind them in one direction, like totally focused in one dead space as they faced me. They wondering what I'm looking at. So in just speaking the midair, I said, yeah, they're trying to rob me. So they must have got nervous and let go of the bike and turned around. And as they turned around, I rode my bike straight through them. And I'm pedaling, you know, literally you put the pedal to the metal. I raced home as they're chasing me, but I'm on a bike. So they got some a little bit of distance behind me, but they chased me all the way up. I got to do, I jumped off the bike, carried my bike up the stoop steps and got to the house. And they got to the stoop at the bottom of the steps. It's like, yeah, you better not say anything. You better not tell your father. You know. Now, in retrospect, I should have told my father because everyone in the neighborhood was afraid of my father. But in my mind, I'm like, yo, these thugs know where I live. I ain't saying Jack, you know, or riding a bike ever again. But now my grandmother would ask me every day, aren't you going to ride your new bike? I'm like, no, nah, I'm OK. I'm like, sure. She wouldn't let up, you know. Why don't you want to go outside and ride your bike? It's nice out. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like riding today. And she kept going on. And I get that the wild thing. She was trying to punk me, you know. It's been a whole week. Aren't you going to go out and ride your bike? What, do you want me to come out with you so you can ride your bike? And I was like, look, I just don't want to ride this stupid bike. I'm good, you know. So now my grandma's like, oh, so it's a stupid bike. Well, what if we get you a more brand new, more awesome bike so you can show it off? I'm like, lady, you trying to get me killed? Now I'm going to need a bulletproof bike when it comes with its own posse. You know? And I ain't never been on a bike since. I ride an exercising bike with a machete now, you know, just in case something pops off. Even a scooter would give me PTSD. But that's Philly life, boy. And Philly is actually where I actually first heard the term brolic. I heard that in Philly. I just thought that was an adjective of Philly. Perfect example. I'm hanging out with my cousin Noel in his neighborhood to play basketball. And back then, you know, I played basketball every day for hours, you know. I had a little handle, a deep jump shot. You know, I could hold my own on the court, but that's courts in New York, you know. You know, usually you just go on a court, you jump in a game of 21, get your groove on. In Philly, it's a totally different game. In Philly, the game of 21 was called Rough House. Kid you not, Rough House. It's like that movie, The Longest Yard, but with basketball. It's basically 21, but with no calls. So let's just say they play rather enthusiastically. 
So I'm like doing my thing. I'm driving. I drive into the lane and I hit the ground and I call foul. Now, the person who roughly shoved me to the ground asked, how was that a foul? And I'm like, because I'm bleeding, miss. And she, you know, she going to catch an attitude. Like, like, oh, yeah, whatever. There's your tooth, you know. But that was like the norm. It's like, hey, no, what's up with your cousin, man? You know, Noah was like, oh, he lives with his mom in New York. You know? I don't even know if they still play like that now. I wonder if it got worse now. Because like, it was rough then. Now I want to, like, foul. Like, foul? What do you mean, foul? Like, you hit me with the butt of your gun. But I didn't shoot you. No, then it's not a foul. You know, so what happened, you know, I got in one slight altercation and the family got scared and said, you're moving back with your mom in the Bronx to prepare. You know? For the witness relocation program. But then again, sutures and blood transfusions. But to be home with my geeky friends, you know, who I had geeky friends who understood the importance of comic books. You know, and that was my whole allowance right there. Every week, you know, I had to get every version of Marvel that came out. Like the four books of Spider-Man, Captain America, X-Men, X-Factor. Fantastic Four, The Avengers, Alpha Flight, one called The Master of Kung Fu, G.I. Joe, Power Man, Iron Fist, Cloak and Dagger, Gru, Moon Knight, Howard the Duck, Spider Ham. Like like anything with Marvel, I had to get. If you you get your comic book fix, and you know you had a bad comic book fix if you were buying Marvel Universe. And I got that. That was boring, you know. Marvel Universe was, was like a book to help normalize anyone who was way into those Dungeon and Dragon board games to help transition them into talking to women. Because the Marvel comic book was just an alphabetical listing of every comic book character's stats. So like, oh, this person's fighting stat- technique is this. It's rated this on the power level is this. And he's comparable to this particular person in the comic books. And all it was is stats and categories and comparisons. But... That's when you find out people who are way too much into comic books because it ends up getting into fights over it, over these discussions. And you're like, what? Yo, ain't nobody stronger than the Hulk, my nigga. Nobody, you know. And so I'm like, well, I think the Thing could beat the Hulk. Like, what? Are you serious right now? You serious? The Thing? I think you smoking that thing. Nobody could beat the Hulk. He's called the Incredible Hulk. No, you never hear the Incredible Thing. It's more like, yeah, what's that thing? All the thing is, is the blocks of rock. Yeah, and everyone knows you can't hurt rock. So Thing is stronger. Yeah, well, of course, you would say that. You think Thing is stronger because you're a blockhead. But then I see ladies around, you know, and I'm trying to be smooth and suave and impressive. And I come in and say, well, guys, you know, I think She-Hulk can beat the Hulk because I believe that a woman is the strongest that there is. Hi, ladies. How you doing? Ladies would smile and walk off. Now the guys are indignant. I rate with you. The Hulk is stronger than She-Hulk. Yo, my nigga, yo, check this out, yo. Even the Hulk even starts off in his calm state stronger than the, the, the She-Hulk. So even if they both get equally mad, the Hulk is always going to have an advantage. She-Hulk would have to get way more angry than the Hulk in his calm state, and she would have to keep building, but since the Hulk has a more angry factor, you know, the Hulk always gets stronger, so the Hulk always be strongest. Facts. So now, not to lose an argument, you know, I had to throw in, oh yeah, yeah, well, She-Hulk is stronger than the Hulk every 28 days. Ha! You ain't beating that, you know. The Hulk would even touch that, you know. The Hulk be like, Hulk strongest there is, but Hulk don't mess with that bitch. Every 27th day, you know, there'd be a town hall meeting. Like, y'all know what tomorrow is, right? Pack your stuff and go. You know? She-Hulk come around on the 28th day to an abandoned ghost town. You know, she come around like, rah, where is everyone at? Rawr. She-Hulk need people around to hear a bitch and complain. Rawr. Yes, She-Hulk just sit down with some green chai tea and crochet tea cozies. You know, and the Hulk was part of the Avengers, you know, which was based in New York. And I was always waiting to see an episode where the Avengers come to the Bronx. But I guess the writers that want to see the Avengers get jumped. 
Now, if the Hulk and She-Hulk were in the Bronx out in public, man, someone in the Bronx would have instigated some drama between them, you know. They're like, hey, yo, son, yo, is that the Hulk? Oh, snap, and look over here, that's She-Hulk. Yo, actually, was they looking for weed? Yo, yo, tell her I got some stuff that look like just like her hair. She might like it, you know. Hey, nah, son, hey, what they doing? Yo, yo, check this out, my hand with this, yo. Hey, hey yo, 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 Hulk, yo, 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 Hulk. Yeah, what up, my nigga? Yo, check it. You see She-Hulk over there walking in that door in that room? Yo, She-Hulk says she's stronger than you, son. She even said that She-Hulk is the strongest that there is. And Hulk's like, what? Hulk's strongest that there is. Like, you stay here. Like, like Hulk, what you, what you gonna do? Where you going? Like, Hulk gonna smash. And the crowd stuff for it because the guy's like instigating like, yo, you hear that? Yo, I think the Incredible Hulk's gonna hit that. The Hulk is going to get his groove back. You know? Shit, he's going to smash. You know? Now, have you ever heard or seen the Incredible Hulk fighting? He's always growling, so it probably would sound like sex behind the walls, you know. The people would be listening to the wall with a glass to the wall. Yeah. Ah, take this. Rah. Don't make me angry. You won't like Hulk when Hulk is angry. And she was like, oh, yeah, Hulky. Well, I've taken your best shots, and you still, and you're the one who's winded. You can't handle what I got, Hulk. And Hulk, like, Hulk not go down alone. Hulk has friends. Avengers assemble. Now the instigator's outside the door, hyping it up, like, yo, yo, she gonna give it up to the whole crew. She gonna give it up to all the Avengers. Who gonna give it up to the Avengers? Her, you know, she-ho. Now there's a whole crowd, the ears against the wall, listening, listening to all the people that come in. Like, like what happened here? What, Hulk? She-Hulk, stop. Stop, I, I don't want to hurt you. You need to give this up. Like, oh, really, Hawkeye? You think you can hurt me with your little arrow? Crowd outside looking at each other, like, yeah, white boy. You Avengers can't handle me. Where's Iron Man? I want to face Iron Man. And the instigator's like, see? She, Iron Man, she wants that stamina. You know, and people explain, how come we don't hear from the Black Widow? Where's the Black Widow at? Like, well, obviously she preoccupied, you know, probably got something in her mouth, but <laughs> I doubt it's Hawkeye, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Now, of course, it would only like really reach its peak when Thor arrives, you know, because Thor arrives, you know, when he talks, you know, he always sounds like he's speaking medieval Shakespearean dirty talk, you know, you know, like She-Hawk, you saucy green eyed wench, you. You dare defy me, troll? You want to witness Asgardian power? Bow down. Or prepare to taste the thunder of Thor's mighty magic hammer. Mjolnir to me. And the crowd's outside like, who? But the instigator's like, yo. The Thor brought his own chick to the party. You know, some exotic chick named Mjolnir. And the Avengers be getting down. But, I don't know. <clears throat> I actually, I did this recording earlier, and I'm doing it again because apparently, uh, Anchor, you can't record in over an hour, and this ends up being just a few minutes past an hour, so I'm going to end it here just to do part two. Uh, so just stay tuned. Part two is coming up right now. Hi, this is Drake again, and I'd like to say welcome back again to the Gag Order Podcast. So shut up and listen already, <laughs> again. This is part two of episode two. It's, like I said, Anchor doesn't let you go over an hour, but I'm trying to, I just want to continue with where I left off at, and uh, we're talking about family and friends, you know, supposed to live together in the same concept of cohesiveness. Like if I take my family, for instance, like like my family always had a strong faith. Like everyone is just believing in the Lord and it's religious. And my sister Kim is like extra religious, you know. You know, she spends the night over house in the middle of the night. She yelled out hallelujah, you know, in the middle of the night. It was as clear as day. She said hallelujah or Howard Hewitt, you know. Let's see. My sister never liked Shalimar, so I knew it wasn't Howard Hewitt, you know. You can't shake her faith. So much so, she got a brand new car. Uh, came to New York for the first time, and probably the last time driving in New York, because she got sideswiped by a cab. 
in New York City and end up breaking a hip. You know, and that didn't even stop her. You know, she's like, the devil's just trying to test me, but I will remain strong. The accident did not stop her, slowed her down maybe. You know, so she went through the grueling therapies and workouts and exercises to, to build a hip back up using all her vacation days and, and days off that she earned from work. So then she finally got a little better, you know, she came back to New York by bus, you know, to go to New York, to go to the Creflo Dollar Church for a healing session, you know, because her hip still hurts, still painful. You know, she went to the church and left the church, was talking to everybody and was running late. So it was the last bus leaving. So she had to run and catch the bus before it left. And the bus saw her running for the bus and still decided to pull off on you, you know, what? My sister ended up tripping over those metal seat pavilions in the middle of the sidewalk on 86th Street and like fell in front of the bus. So now the driver has to stop, you know, because the last thing he wanted to be thought of is a jerk and an accessory, you know. So now she ended up breaking the other hip, you know. And she's become known as the only person to get injured leaving a healing. It changed her life, you know, changed her walk, you know. I'm telling you, it's like it's a shame you don't like rap music, you know, because with that current weight, with gait you walk with, you kind of look like the embodiment of hip hop. But my sister walks by faith, not by sight. You know. Not that she didn't see where she was going, but Second Corinthians five seven, you know, my sister never loses her faith. So my sister, you know, my sister had this job for years now, and, and she did build up a lot of vacation and sick days, and had to start all of a sudden using all of them, you know. Which was causing friction with one of her supervisors. And the supervisors were like, you can't keep taking this much time off even though you acquired it. And I just was like, it's for therapy to get better. And this became like a constant form of contention. And my sister, you know, would just pray for her and just pray and go to therapy and pray and pray for her and go to therapy and so on and so on. But this still began to fester with my, her supervisor, who wasn't appreciating my sister using all her earned time to heal. So it got to a point where the supervisor was like, uh, you need to think about your job because I know people hire up. And if you keep taking more time off, you won't have any more time here, you know, like an ultimatum. And the next day that lady died, you know, with medical, with medical people refer to as a brain aneurysm, you know, you know, those words that people use to try to explain God's will, you know. All I know is people were saying, the supervisor was saying, hey, I know people higher up. And my sister was like, no, I know people higher up. In fact, my sister knows people higher, higher up. You could say the people my sister knows are most high. And I said, I'm going to tell people, I'm like, I'm going to start telling this story in comedy clubs. And people say, why would you tell this story in a comedy club? I'm going to tell them that, I'm going to tell the audience after it's over. I was like, hey, I'm telling you this because if you don't laugh, I'm going to tell my sister. Yeah, that's right, you know. Fake it so you can make it. Because all my sisters are strong, you know. Each and every one, like, no one dare message my sister Mishy, you know. Because people like, tell her, like, don't, don't you know who that is? That's Big Mike's daughter. Like, what? You mean grumpy? Yeah, I could hear the resemblance. But my sisters all had, like, a strong relationship with God, you know. It's almost like they were competing to prove who loves the Lord the most, you know. Like, for example, this one Sunday, my sister Karen gets a call from her brother Shane asking if she can take him to the hospital. And my sister's like, well, I can't right now because I'm about to go to church. And my brother's like grimacing on the phone. He's like, I'm having a heart attack. I need to go to the hospital now. My sister's like, well, the service ends about 11. You know, I guess I asked my brother, like, you're not going to help me. My sister's like, of course I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, you know, you, you couldn't have took them to the hospital first, you know. I'm thinking of all those things that they have, you know, like help those in need, you know, reach one, teach one, you know, leave a penny, take a penny. I mean, my sister Karen has a van with a sliding door, you know. She could just had the door slid open and drove through the entrance and he could have just rolled out whatever happened to stop. And if you ever saw my brother's head, you know how feasible that is, you know. But I guess promptness is next to godliness. But at, at the first of the hospital, they, they thought they weren't able to care for him. They were really nervous because they thought, you know, he's not getting any oxygen to the brain. Because the nurse was saying, like, oh, my God, he's not getting any oxygen to the brain. His brain is swelling. And someone had to sound like, no, no, that's that's just how his head looks naturally. Now, I'm not sure, sure how natural that is, you know. 
because as the story is told that when my brother was about one years old, my mother had this used car where the door would never open on one side until this one time she hit a pothole in the middle of the road and the door flew open and my brother flew out and like fell behind the car. And she said like they felt the car felt like it was going over like they felt like it rolled over a tree. So my brother was scared. He felt like she must have ran him over. So she stopped the car and was upset and is praying as she got out. And he said my brother was on the side of the road crying with tired tread marks on the side of his head. So the story is she ran over his head, but he was saved. And that's all that matters, that he was saved. Now, the car, on the other hand, you know, I mean, I mean, everyone has to always replace shocks, you know. But the transmission, you know, my brother's head is powerful. I mean, he actually now is, is, is better, you know, because now, you know, he kind of had to grow into his head, you know. And me, as a kid, as much as I love comic books, you know, I always thought Shane might have superpowers, you know. I think he might have some kind of telekinetic brain power, like be one of those mutants from the X-Men, you know. I'm like, man, you must have power, you know. Can't you help the family out and pick out the number? But he was always he was always charming the ladies, even as a little kid, as I was told, you know. This big head on his infantile body. My mother would marvel how grown women would carry on these conversations with this little boy. Yeah, you know, to the family, you know, we thought he was a little boy. But to these women, you know, they thought he was like a smooth midget. So, like my brother had, my mother had four kids before me, you know. All way before me, you know. They all have one year apart. And, you know, that would be expensive. Like Halloween to buy four complete costumes, you know, so they would have to, you know, economize, you know, so they each get a mask, you know, and have to make the rest of their costume. You know, so my brother, you know, thought that he can just get like a motorcycle helmet and be Evil Knievel, you know, that motorcycle stunt performer back then. So he bought this big motorcycle helmet and made a cape that he wore on this small body, this motorcycle helmet and then a cape wearing green pants and a green turtleneck and went out what he thought was evil Knievel to a Halloween costume and won he won first place now of course they didn't know he was supposed to be evil Knievel you know he won first place because they thought he was Gazoo the alien from the Flintstones but my brother has always been a ladies man all the ladies like my brother you know. I mean even the shape of his head doesn't dissuade the ladies from him I mean, he's able to embrace it, you know. That becomes like part of his rap, you know. Like, that's right, ladies. And you know what they say about guys with big heads. Like, what? Your shower cap's a pillowcase? He's that smooth. Even despite his nickname. Like, my mother gave him his nickname for him, you know. He was called Doodles. He would always call him that. Her little Doodles. Here, Doodles. Even in public. You know, after a while, it would embarrass him being caught that in front of ladies. So he told my mother that. And so my mother being so magnanimous and understanding to try to help Shane out. She started pronouncing the name that she was calling him with an L in it to make it sound different from what she was originally calling him. You know, yeah, apparently his diaper situation was legendary. But my brother always was an inspiration. Even in school. I think if you could make a time machine and went back in time and could look in Shane's classrooms, he'd always appear to be ahead of the class, you know. From the back row. You know. Even his science teacher was impressed by Shane, you know. He was inspired by Shane, so much so that after his school tenure was up, he gave up teaching altogether and started his own business. He invented 3D glasses. Because he was inspired by the presence of Shane. But I was just shocked that my brother had a heart attack, you know. And do you know why he had a heart attack? Smoking. So now I get on a soapbox and try to get everyone to give up smoking. Which is like, that starts a fight. You tell people to stop smoking, you know. Because people have excuses. Hey, I use e-cigarettes. That's healthy. These are electronic cigarettes, so I'm good. So years later, they find out they have digital emphysema, 
bro. I don't trust anything that's a substitutional fix. I mean, look what happened when synthetic weed came out. People were ODing off of synthetic weed. Really? How bad is that weed where you have to take so much of it just to even feel a buzz? So either real or fake smoking, just give it up. Because you don't want this thing to get critical. And this became a wake-up call for my brother, you know. I think this must have terrified Shane, you know. Scared him so bad that his hair turned white. I mean, white. My brother's hair is now literally snow white. He looked like Steve Martin with a tan. His hair is so white, the only person that is impressing is my Uncle Harry, you know. My brother's mother, my, my mother's brother calls, asks my mother, hey, what is Shane's secret? People want to, does Shane dye his hair? Like, who would dye their hair that color? You know, brand new, just for men, a touch of gray. Well, I think he's using a touch too much. And it's not that it's white. It's just that it's a whole lot of white, you know. I mean, the vast whiteness is just encompassing a whole lot of area space, you know. It kind of, it kind of looks, you know, like like the airport is closed because the snow on the runway. I mean, it almost looks like him and my mother used the same salon. Yeah, my mother, you know, and I should have brought this up in the first podcast about getting older. But as my mother has gotten older, you know, constant changes in technology have become an issue. Like when my mother first got a computer, 1998, you know, back then, to go on the internet, you click on the AOL icon, which would eventually change the screens where you type in your login password and your screen name, and you're on the internet. Well, no one uses AOL anymore, except my mother. Now, it's totally different to get on the internet. Now, you have to go to the internet provider. And this is just causing an issue, because now she... She goes to the internet to the provider and types in her screen name and gets upset because it's not working. You know, apparently her mother's too ups- too impatient. You know, it's just like she can't get online. It's like, it, must, it must be a virus. I was like, you can't just go to Google and type in your screen name. It's not like the internet knows who you are. You think you're Beyonce? I mean, even if the internet didn't know who you were, you know, like maybe the internet has a purple fetish. It's not going to know where you want to go. So I've actually said to her, like, look, this is what you do. You go to the internet provider, you put in the website you want to go to. Then once you get there, once you're there, then you type in your screen name and password. And then you can do what you want to do. You know, but my mother's not trying to hear that. You know, she wants to do things her way. You know, obviously it's, it's not working. Obviously the internet is tripping. And Microsoft people supposedly keep calling, you know. I'm just afraid you don't get these arguments. If Mike, I think my mother will call Microsoft. You know, like I can't get to my emails. And when you speak to one of those phone reps, they talk to you over the phone. They have you go step by step, which sounds so mundane because you want to skip over to the part where you're at. Uh, but they have to follow procedure protocol, which I think was made for my mother. Because the Microsoft rep people were like, uh, "Okay, let's start it off. Like, first, is your computer on?" He's like, "No. Do you want me to turn it on?" Yes. Turn on the computer that needs to be repaired. You know, and I'm just take this. I'm gonna go for a long shot. Is the display monitor on? Okay, so you also want me to put the TV screen thingy on too? Oh boy! But I could just see how the conversation went. You know, I was saying, I'm trying to log on and I cannot get on Wowcom. Like on what? Like on Wowcom? Are you trying to say welcome? No, the website, you know, welcome. And the folks up, is that a new website? I never heard of that. Can you spell the website out for me? Like, ah, yes. It's www.wowl.com. C-O-M. And the folks up, like, oh, oh, okay, ma'am. That's www. Period. A-O-L. Period. Com. Someone's like, fine. Well, woo. Al, come. You need to contact your internet people because the internet is broken. I'm like, man, this is a good thing my mother don't stutter or she'll still be having this conversation. I'm I'm, I'm trying to get on. I'm like, hey, someone call Uncle Bob. I think Shirley stuttered, flooded. Parents. 
Like my mother wants her things her way. So much so that she would tell stories in her childhood growing up. She had a crush on Harry Belafonte and that was her goal. So she married someone who looked just like Harry Belafonte. Like a Native American Harry Belafonte who speaks like John Wayne. I was like, what do you like, both of their movies? It's funny, since him being Native American, you know, if he called the white man Pilgrim, it's almost like he has an authorization to do so. And guy who's really into golf. Like, I never understood golf, but I won't complain because I realize I'm in excellent athletic shape if you consider golf a sport. I'm like, how is golf a sport anyway? You know, nature can't play defense. You know, if I want to hit a ball somewhere and then go get it myself just to hit it away again, I might as well just play fetch with the cat. Golf and logging in online problems. This is something parents do. Speaking of which, I know about parenting now. You know, I had to go through this whole adoption process, but it's finally official. I have a cat now. Now people are saying having a dog or a cat doesn't make you a parent. Like, but if you have to go through an adoption process, oh, it does. Because not only do you have to fill out an adoption form application, you have to do an in-person interview, have a home visit, show proof of employment, two references, non-family, and a letter from the homeowner landlord. You know, you don't have to go through that to get a car. These people don't know. People say that owning a cat doesn't make you a parent. Obviously, I never had to take a pet to a vet because pets know. Like when you take your kid to the doctor, you know, he might throw a tantrum the night before or the day of. A cat becomes skeptical a week before. You know, you might find yourself spelling out words in front of people in front of the cat. You know, you know I made an appointment for the VET, you know, but my cat is Siamese, so I think he can spell. You know, he can certainly tell time. He comes up to me eating right on time every 12 hours. But when a pet has to go to the vet, like a cat, cats become Jedi masters and can sense a disturbance in the force. Taking a cat to the vet is like planning a surprise party that's going to involve violence. <laughs> surprise. First of all, like my previous cat, when I had to go to the vet, she knew how to hide. You know, I had to go through each hiding space she's used in the past to try to find her. You know, I had to check like under the bed. No. Behind crates of records. No. Behind the toilet bowl tank. No. Between the refrigerator and the wall, no. I had to go down the checklist. So. And she would never use the same place twice. Now, I done wasted an hour trying to find her. So now I got to call the vet and reschedule for a later time in that day. And I got frustrated. You know, it's summertime and it's hot too. And the only reason I found her that it was so hot that when I turned on a ceiling fan, she slipped off one of the fan blades and fell into my arms. Now, this is only solving one part. Because it is virtually impossible for one person to put a cat in a cat carrier. I'd have to get some help, you know. Only problem is my cat don't don't trust everybody, you know. It trusts my mother. That's about it. Because when I'm not able to come home to feed her, you know, I make arrangements for my mother to feed her. So it, cat's okay with my mother. You know, cat's usually docile when my mother is there. Not now. Now it becomes a fight for your life to try to get a cat in the carrier. Because they know where to put their back paws to avoid being put in the carrier. And they put their back paws with claws extended on the outside of the box so they can't go in. You try to grab their back paws and then the front paws try to escape, you know. The only way to maneuver a cat in a cat box is like I had to cover the cat's eyes like bird box. And of course, this really pisses off a cat because the cat's upset that bird box has nothing to do with actually caged birds. But by doing this, you know, you put the eyes over the cat's front eyes, then the, the front paws go over there, your, their, your hands to remove that from the eyes, and you slide them into the carrier, and then quickly close the door before they can turn around and start growling. And it's not even like a, like a normal hissing. This is like a, a guttural growling, you know, like deep within their soul type growling, you know. Almost sound like she's going to start selling slave cat spiritual songs, you know? And walking down the street in this huge carrier, she jerked the box wildly. And then this, this heavy growling, you know, and trying to maintain the box in, in public. That looks strange to people. Maybe like, what the hell? Did you trap a Tasmanian devil in there? What is that? Do you have a wild bobcat in there? I'm like, who? Oh, you mean Cuddles here? Now, here's the weirdest thing which I can never understand about going to the vet. As biggest thing she made about going in the box and staying in the carrier in the vet's office now she don't want to come out the box i was like 
as much as I had trouble, you had going in the box. Now, the doctor literally has to hold the cage upside down, and she knows how to press the cage against the side so she don't fall out the cage. So now I have to physically dismantle the whole cage and take off the top just to get it examined. And she's been examined and prodded. She just stays looking at me, doing those low guttural growls. Like, you did this to me. You did this to me. When we get home, it's on, you know. She did that thing with her paws where she points her paws at her eyes and then in my eyes and the back at her eyes. Like, when I get home, I'm going to get it, you know. Now, here's the thing. After the examination is over, and I knew everything I had to go through to get her into the cage, the exam is over. You open up the cage, she walks right in. Oh, like, easy peasy. Like, what is this, passive, aggressive, and reverse? Because the doctors have a staff. I'm like, oh, I know we're going to get you in this cage. And you walk right in it like it's nothing. So I go bring her home, and I have my mother there, you know, just in case she doesn't want to come out. But I take her home, you know, open the cage. She flies out and runs in hiding, and she's growling still. You can't see her, but you can hear her growling. And it's, it definitely sounds like she's seething, you know. It's like angry displeasure sounds. Almost like she was in heat and she's mad about it. Like she's really trying to curse me out, but doesn't know how to pronounce the words in English. She's making these sounds. They're like, Of course, my mother heard that and was like, well, I think your cat's trying to get on the internet. Okay, so that's all for now. I want to thank you all for listening to the Gag Order Podcast, episode two, part two. It's all relative. I can say thank you for stopping by. Please hit that like button. I mean, even if you didn't, who's going to know? You know? It'll be our secret. But like to show the computer algorithms that I'm relevant. You know? I mean, even if no one knows who I am, you know, here's the chance to know me better. So subscribe to my channels. Leave comments. What are you afraid of? Improving my self-esteem? So why not be you? Be different. And subscribe to my page like everyone else. Of course, by everyone, I just mean me. But you could change that. So America, it's on you. I'm Drake Drakey, and I'm out. Hi, this is Drake, Drake Drakey. I invite you to check out my YouTube page, Big Drake at YouTube, uh, B-I-G-G Drake at YouTube, one word. If you want to hear more videos, want to hear more content, you just want to hear more me, why not subscribe? Thank you.